Welcome everyone to episode 144 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Farrell Keeling, Liam Toher and Jamie Barson as we make our Premier League predictions for the new season. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, the start of the Premier League season is pretty much upon us now. It begins on Friday night, obviously, with Burnley facing Manchester City. Liverpool's first game of the season takes them to Stamford Bridge on Sunday. So, as we did last year, we're going to make our predictions now for the new season. We've got a whole host of different categories that we're going to be going through. We'll have, obviously, the top six and the bottom three. We'll also have some individual awards like Golden Boot, Most Assist, Player of the Year, Best Signing. Um, And then maybe a couple of the less desirable categories like biggest flop and first manager sacked and then we'll finish off with our LFC hot take so let's get straight into it then and I think we want to leave top six and hot take till the end so let's begin with bottom three so I'm going to kind of go around to each of you um for your bottom three first of all and then we'll discuss any kind of differences so why don't we go in the order that I said in the intro so we'll go Farrell first Liam second and then Jamie third please Tough one, this actually, isn't it? Because you look at sort of, you know, I think I think a lot will, plenty will sort of say Luton will, will go into will be a fixture, but I, I reckon they'll stay up. Um, I've gone with Wolves, uh, Nottingham Forest, and Sheffield United. Liam, um, I've got two or three of the same that Farrell said. I've gone with Wolves, Luton, and Sheffield United. And Jamie, uh, I'm completing the set with Sheffield United, but I've also gone for Crystal Palace and Fulham. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. I have gone also Sheffield United. I've got them finishing bottom. Um, that squad at the moment looks in a pretty sorry state. I have gone for Luton um, to be relegated. I, I just think that um, if ever a team could accept a relegation, I think it is Luton because they can kind of just build up, use the parachute payments and maybe have a, a better stab at the Premier League second time around. We might be surprised on that. Interestingly, I've also gone for Fulham because I think last season, I think their XG sort of or expected points was kind of way out of whack. And I think they overperformed it quite a lot. And I don't think their transfer business has been that great this summer. I think they've signed um, Calvin Basu. I think he's a good player. And him and Edge is obviously not the player he once was because of that injury that he suffered. There's been a bit of unrest as well. Marco Silva considered going. Um, Mitrovic considered going as well. Um, so all those factors combined make me think that Fulham might go. Wolves obviously very tempting with the chaos that's going on there um, as well. But last year I did have Fulham finish in 19th and then they massively overperformed that. So um, it's easy to kind of uh, condemn them too much. But I, I think they might drop this year. Um, bit of a bold prediction, I suppose, to when they finished uh, mid-table last year. But, Jamie, I think the one thing we've got to kind of revisit on this um, is you having Crystal Palace to get relegated. <laughs> Why is it that you've put them in your bottom three? I mean, because of everything that happened with Hodgson towards the end of last season, I think it's quite easy to forget that they didn't have a really good season at all. Um, they've obviously lost Wolf Zaha, who I think, despite the kind of meme ability... Of, of 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 his performances, he's actually such a key player for them, and, and was for throughout the I don't know, almost ten years. I think he would have been there. And I just I don't know. Maybe it's because 
Liverpool podcast and I have my own feelings on Roy Hodgson, but I wonder whether they should have kind of thanked him for, for everything he did, coming back into the club, rescuing them, getting them to the line, and then, I don't know, said, said goodbye, sent him on his merry way you know, into the sunset. Uh, and it just seems kind of a bit like the, the, the epilogue that didn't really need to happen. That's kind of my impression of him sticking around. And I do really wonder, especially with Elise injured, uh, and even if he weren't, there's all this talk about him going to, to City or whatever. Um, I really wonder whether last season was kind of the, the last hurrah for, for that team. Yeah, I have to say I completely agree. Um, because Hodgson, the first time he was at Palace, it reached a point where it wasn't tenable anymore and that project had reached its ceiling. And last year he was that short-term solution. But now to go back to that, it feels like a regressive step to me. And I think Crystal Palace fans, I mean, I don't know how they feel about it, but if they were kind of happy about that appointment, I think they might kind of turn a bit because I feel like you're just kind of strapping yourself back in for the cycle a little bit. And that was a cycle that, yeah, was it leading to relegation? Maybe not, but it was certainly kind of Palace were bottoming out. Like... um in sort of like lower mid table. So I think they are probably a team that's been overlooked a little bit. I mean, one that nobody's mentioned that I don't think is, is Everton, um, who obviously might be down there again, not particularly inspiring business, but I think they should probably just about um, have enough like they did last year um, to stay up a, a full season under Sean Dyche should probably see to that uh, for them. So let's move on to the individual awards now. Unfortunately, we have lost uh, Farrell to internet issues almost immediately. So we've got a fallen soldier early on there, but we will we will continue to push forward um, with the individual awards. So we'll have Golden Boot, Most Assists and Player of the Year. Um, so Liam, you can go first and then Jamie, please. So those three individual awards, please. Okay, Golden Boot, I'm going to be boring and say Haaland. I mean, if he avoids injury at all, I think it's pretty impossible to imagine him not kind of getting near the figures he was last season. Assists, um, again, my first pick would be Kevin De Bruyne, just because, again, if, Man- if he stays in the free and Man City do what Man City generally do, it's hard to imagine he won't be up there. I'm going to give a cheeky shout for Trent to be near the, near the top of that list as well, because um, I think if he does play that bit further forward for a full season, like we saw like, towards the end of last season, what, like what he was doing, so a four-year dash, he could be right up there. Player of the year, Again, I'm going to go with a bowling pick in Haaland if he gets 36 goals again. Hard to look past him, but if, if there's going to be a, a, a challenger for that, I think someone like Martin Odegaard, if Arsenal are up there and again next season, he has the same standards, then I don't think he'd be far off his, his compatriot either. Yeah, I think Odegaard's a good shout. I mean, Last year, there was a question, I think, when Arsenal were top of the league, did Odegaard, did, did Saka deserve to to be edging Haaland? But then in the end, obviously, City um, overwhelmed Arsenal and it became kind of... Uh, it became a case of Haaland was performing too well to, to be overlooked um, and the numbers he was reaching were just so stratospheric and, and unprecedented, really. Um, so, interesting shout on that one. Jamie, uh, what are your picks for, for those three? So, frustratingly... They are exactly the same, uh, even down to the to the Martin Odegaard shot. I think that's a really yeah. good shot. I think he was really impressive in the. And I know the Community Shield means nothing, considering Harlan missed an open goal and Nunes uh, 
scored the, the <laughs> last season. But yeah, I think I think Odegaard's set for a really good season. The one difference I might have is that I think I've given De Bruyne's injury, and I know he's kind of on the road to recovery now, but he won't start the season. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a sneaky Trent <laughs> top shout. That's right. gonna that's gonna be my one difference. I think. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I have gone for slightly different but not but not all that different i've gone for golden boot harland and um, it would be stupid for anyone to predict otherwise i think based on last year uh, most assists i've actually gone for mohammed salah second last year has won the award previously and i think this time is going to be fingers crossed spending the season with a more clinical darwin nunez that was the sort of the best partnership in the premier league in terms of the chances they were creating for each other so if we see nunez score more goals his assists will climb and then he's playing with kind of Cody Gakpo for a full season with hopefully Jota and Diaz for a full season too. So I think given Salah's playmaking ability, that that is a recipe for Salah to, to lead the way there. And player of the year I've gone for, always a tricky one, to be honest. Um, I've gone for Kevin De Bruyne because, um, you know, he's, he's probably the, the best player in the league. So I think it's always a, a safe shout. And I think generally with these predictions, like, in previous years, I've really put so much thought into them and then just been spectacularly wrong anyway. So this year I was like, well, at least if I'm spectacularly wrong, I haven't poured that much time into them and I've just gone with more with instinct um, this year. So, yeah, I think the one thing we we should touch on before we just move, shift the conversation onto the, the signings is um, your Trent most assist shout, Jamie. I, I mean, his form at the end of last season in, in that 10-game run, he got seven assists, was absolutely spectacular. And a thought I had recently was I can't remember being too many like too many more examples where I've been more excited to watch an individual player, not just like a full team, but an individual player over the course of a full season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think if preseason has taught us anything, it's that we're going to score a lot of goals this season. I think perhaps to the detriment of our, of our defensive line, but I mean, if you can see this team hitting ninety goals, ninety Premier League goals this season. I can see Trent assisting 15 of those at least. Uh, and that's kind of typical numbers that would probably get you to the to the top spot. Uh, the idea of him in that role, and I know teams will be working on it uh, over the summer and when it comes to face us, and they'll have more of the video, more of the, the analysis team on that compared to last season. But the numbers he put up once he moved into that position last season were, 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 were ridiculous, really. Uh, and the idea of him with... Nunes running in behind, playing short to Salah, uh, those kind of long balls to the back post to Jota. Uh, I, I think that he he will be up there with, with De Bruyne and depending on De Bruyne's injury, I, I'm going to go for him top, yeah. I think you make a good point about the, um, the sort of the plans that opposition teams are going to have to devise because he is going to be a player that is allowed to just run matches otherwise and we're going to see them sort of throw some interesting kind of tactical um, ideas, Adam, I think, but is that going to be the kind of thing where you've got to devise a strategy for Trent that unlocks other players, that unlocks maybe a McAllister or a Sabazlai in front of him and that is what could make Liverpool so devastating, really. Um, yeah, let's talk about the best and worst signings. Now, this is, I think, one of the more interesting kind of um, categories that you kind of come to in predictions. Uh, so, yeah, Liam, if you go first and then on to you, Jamie, for for best signing and biggest flop. Um, does the biggest flop have to be the signing from this summer, David? Yeah. Okay. Because um, I had Rosharis to know for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, best, best signing um, 
Okay, I have Connecticut bias and a non-biased one here. So bias one, I'm going to say McAllister. I think getting in for the, the initial 35 million is an absolute steal. Like, I mean, World Cup winner, brilliant with Brighton last season, goal output of plenty. And we've seen him even his first few games with Liverpool, small sample size in pre-season, but like, I think a full year of that, if he keeps those levels going, like that, he'll make that 35 don't look like an absolute rob from Brighton. Like, so delighted with that one. I think another really astute one as well is Aston Villa getting Tielemans on a free from Leicester. Like, I know we have been mentioned with him a few times and I think he's dealt one out at I'm very glad they have taken at Anfield. Um, but that Villa have done really well, I think, to get to get in after his contract with Leicester ran out. Um, in terms of the worst signing then, this is always a tricky one. Um, but I can see it being like, I could be Made total fool of here, but I have a funny feeling that we know what Chelsea are like with strikers. So I feel that someone like Nkunku or Nicholas Jackson could have not been one that we had to that list of, you know, Sherla, Maratta. I mean, there's, there's been pl- plenty of them over the years, like Werner. Um, I don't know, I just have a feeling it could be one of them. Yeah, Chelsea's recruitment, I think they need to inspire confidence in it again because it's been so kind of hit and miss, probably with more misses recently. Um, very interesting season ahead for them as well. Um, Chris Chris Coughlin actually sent us his uh, predictions through um, as well. I'll run through those fully at the end, but he, he's got um, Alexis McAllister for best signing. Um, and for biggest flop, he's gone for Sandro Tonali because um, he's not sure what he'll add to the Newcastle midfield and the AC Milan fans didn't seem devastated by his departure either. Um, Jamie, what are your shouts for those two positions? Um, so, I've I've been trying to narrow down my best signing. One of them's McAllister, uh, I think, as Liam touched on. The, the price is just insane, really, for a World Cup winner. That that makes so much sense to me. Uh, I've gone for another Aston Villa uh, signing, Moussa Diaby, as, as one of the best signings. I think he looks really, really exciting. I think he got is it nine goals and, and eight assists in the Bundesliga last season. He's 24. To me, he looks someone who's kind of ready to, to, to explode, really. And you might see from my top six prediction later on, uh, where I think he's going to propel them to. Uh, and my third one that I was trying to narrow down was James Trafford for, for, for Burnley. Uh, everyone who saw his heroics in the uh, in the uh, under-21s is, um, I think, probably agree with me on that. And 19 million, again, seems seems like a bit of a steal for someone who people are kind of talking up as England's kind of goalkeeper for the next 10 years. But if I had to narrow it down, I'm going to say McAllister, obviously, because, I mean, 35 million for a World Cup winner and... He's looked great in pre-season, especially the other day. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm going for on that. Uh, for my biggest flop, again, I had three. One of them's a cheat uh, in that I said Mateus Cunha for £45 million to Wolves, even though he was there on loan. Uh, I think you can count that still. OK. That still. £45 million for someone who... I did he score a Premier League goal? I don't think he did. Was it one, maybe? Maybe he got one, yeah. Um, but, I don't know. He, he's a player who I liked before, but honestly, and maybe... Maybe it's just Wolves, but he, he looked a bit out of his depth last season. Uh, so, interesting you touched on Calvin Bassey for Fulham as well. I I um, I wonder whether, the, I don't know, you might be a bit out of his depth there. He, when we played Ajax last season, I remember he looked very kind of shaky. And obviously, uh, not I, I can't call myself someone who watches the Eredivisie too often, but he looked like a player who might just have a mistake in him. And I think mm. and where I think Fulham will finish this season, I think he might end up being the scapegoat for, for some of that. 
And I've chucked in a Hoyland, obviously, because why not? Yeah, I thought about him because he obviously doesn't necessarily have the goals behind him to justify the price tag. But um, I don't know. It kind of felt like inviting um, inviting Carver a bit much, that one. Um, obviously, he wasn't playing for Manchester United. But I've gone for um, best signing. I've gone for Jury and Timber. Um, who I think it was quite cheap. I think um, I think Arsenal fans have been raving about what he's been doing in pre-season. I think he's a, you know, a versatile player and kind of play across the back four for them. Um, and just looks like kind of a, maybe a, a little bit on the small side, but um, generally speaking, a pretty perfect modern defender. I think a few others that I considered, Vardial. Uh, Vardial would, I think, would probably be the best in terms of performance. It's just, it's a bit boring to go for him, especially given that he costs like nearly 80 million. Um, James Madison, I think, has, has been overlooked as a great bit of business from Spurs. And funnily enough, another piece of business from Aston Villa, which shows how good a, a window they've had. Um, Pau Torres, I think they've just perfected the mid-table window, really, in terms of the ambition they've shown and going for players who could easily be playing for kind of top Champions League clubs. Um, I think it's going to put them in a very good position this year. Um, biggest flop, thoughts about Kai Havertz. I just don't necessarily see the fit there. I think he'll be playing, while Jesus is out, he'll be playing centre-forward, but we've seen he, how much he struggled there at Chelsea. And Arteta's idea, I think, is to play him in midfield instead. But I just don't necessarily see him being a, uh, I don't know, a good fit for that position, to be honest. I think, as you know, maybe a number 10, it's a bit different, but a number eight, I just think, does he have the skill set for it? I'm not sure. And uh, it's a big gamble. And Arteta's generally got those right. But yeah, it just um, it doesn't really fill me with confidence, that one. But the one I've actually gone for is Robert Sanchez uh, for 25 million. For the simple reason that Chelsea, I think, already have one unreliable Spanish goalkeeper. And I think they've basically signed another, to be honest. I think Sanchez is kind of emblematic of, the, of a shift in the Premier League where teams are happy to get keepers who are good on the ball, even if they're not that good a shot stopper. And I think at Chelsea, the weaknesses that Sanchez has when it comes to actually keeping the ball out of his goal are going to be exposed a little bit more as well. Um, so yeah, so that's the signings bit dealt with, and um, we've only got one more kind of a uh, category t- before we move on to our top six and our hot take to finish off. And that was just the first manager sacked, which really I should have just included with the previous group. So we'll kind of whiz through that one. So, Liam, who, who do you reckon is going to be the first manager to go? Uh, if you're actually 24 hours, go look at Higgy, um, but obviously he's out the gap now. So, I'm going to say David Moyes, I think West Ham start badly. Um, after the summer they've had, I think he could be, I think they might kind of say, thanks for the Conference League, push we're changing direction. Yeah, I think um, that's a very good shout, given the amount of conflict that's currently taking place behind the scenes. There was even speculation that he'd walk before the season. And yeah, I should have mentioned actually that um, he was, uh, Lopetegui was the first one who, who actually went, but I suppose he's kind of, it kind of feels like he's quit a little bit and does it does it count if it's before the season started? Because then I suppose you could say Gary O'Neill um, would have been the first one. Um, Chris, by the way, went for Steve Cooper on his because of tough opening fixtures and a shaky relationship with the board. Jamie, who's your choice for that? Yeah, again, I was trying to narrow it down. I, I did wonder about Gary O'Neill, you know, but I'm not going to go with it. <laughs> I think I'm going to go for Marco Silva, given my I'm going all in on Fulham tanking it this season. Uh, obviously, I, I I think he's a good manager and, and, and they did really well last season, but 
whenever you, you, you kind of hear that speculation going on in the background about whether he's going to Saudi and all of that sort of stuff, I always think that really doesn't set a team up at all well uh, for the season coming. And so there was this willy won't he, willy won't he sticking around now. But I, I do wonder if Mitrovic goes, especially whether they're just going to start tanking it down the league this season. So I'm going to go with Marco Silva. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, that is a good shout and one that I, I considered. And it does feel a little bit like a little bit of instability has been sown at that club. But again, you know, I underestimated them last year in a, in a big way. And, and maybe they'll sort of surprise me again this time around. Uh, I went for uh, Paul Hackingbottom because Sheffield United fans have been talking on Twitter about um, how they could rival Derby County's 11-point season from 07-08. And if they're on pace to do that after about a third of the season, then I think he'll probably be the first casualty. But I think there are there's a sort of a very strong list of, of candidates um, for that one at the moment. But yeah, let's move on to, I guess, the main events now with the top six. Um, so if you just kind of read out your top sixes in order and then we'll talk about some of the more intriguing shouts that you've gone for within there. So yeah, uh, Liam, if you go first and then and then Jamie, if you do yours, just straight after. So no surprises with, with first, it's going to be Manchester City again, kind of past them. Um, second, I'm going to say Arsenal. I think they could be good to be there. But again, I think Man United are going to be third. Um, I, I do rate Ten Hag as a manager. I do think he's doing some very good th- things there. Um, so I think they, they could be top three again. Chelsea Fort, um, again, I think Pochettino is an excellent manager and I think they'll, they've sort of bottomed out a bit last year. So, yep, again, Liverpool fifth, I hate to say it, but I just think we're still way too open defensively. Um, we're going to be losing Salah for at least a month as well with yeah. AFCON. Um, we haven't got the signings in that, that we need. We've got two very good signings, but like as, as we've discussed at length on, on social media, there's still too much of a gap there so I'm going to say fifth for us again um, and then Newcastle for sixth um, so I wouldn't be wholly surprised if Phil managed to crack that top six either and I'm going to say Newcastle because I still think I was doing some very good stuff up there and then Jamie yeah I've gone uh, Man City top Arsenal second uh, United third so the same as you I've gone Liverpool fourth because I'm an optimist uh, I've gone Newcastle fifth and I've gone Aston Villa Interesting, very interesting. Um, I'll just read out Chris's before I do mine. He had City, Arsenal, United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham as his top six. Um, I've gone for City and Arsenal as well as the top two. Um, I've put Liverpool third, so I think the highest that, that anyone has. Last year, I remember when we did this, pretty much everyone had them to win the league, so it's it's unfortunate uh, turn of events. I've got Man United fourth, Chelsea fifth and Spurs sixth. It's hard now because it feels like there's a bit of a of a big seven with uh with Newcastle, um and I, I did feel I'm not necessarily leaving them out because of anything I feel they've done wrong. I just think that the the traditional kind of teams within there might respond this year. Um, so let's talk about where we've kind of put Liverpool. And I think it's important to acknowledge that under the new UEFA rules, top five is likely going to be enough to qualify for the Champions League. So it's not necessarily top four is to be all and end all this year. But Liam, I've only seen where you're coming from in terms of how defensively open Liverpool look. Is there a 
part of you that thinks that at the end of the transfer window, things might look very different, that Liverpool might be in a position to push on and kind of not necessarily challenge for the title, but maybe nudge themselves up a couple of places. Um, possibly, David. Like, you know, I mean, we all know the kind of players that were seeking to try and remedy that um, that vacancy at number six. I suppose let's not forget about Bicetich either. I mean, he could, if he can pick up where he left off, um, you know, we, we could be looking good there as well. But I, don't, I think that would also be unfair to put too much expectation on him considering how young he is and how long he's been sidelined for. Um, I think that's why Cop does want to get someone else in 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 there. Um yeah, I just think another factor as well, I think, is like we've a bit of a tough start. Like Chelsea away, Newcastle away, and Aston Villa are all in our first five games. And like generally from previous years, if Liverpool start slowly, we tend to you know, we don't tend to catch up particularly particularly well either. I mean we I think we had two points in the first three games last season and in a sense, we never fully recovered. So that I'm just uh, again just slightly concerned that I mean, if that if we're talking after the Villa game and we've only three four points in the board, which isn't fully unthinkable, then again, like we're pretty much out of the tight run already, and probably in the, having a battle just to try and get back into into the stay in the top five at that point. So um, yeah, again, it's probably from my age and probably having been kicked so many times um from from right from starting the season with so much hope. Um, that's probably why I'm thinking like probably looking at maybe up fifth again. And Jamie, you had Liverpool finishing fourth. Why is it that you've got them below Manchester United? Uh yeah, I'm with Liam on the the, the whole uh open defensively thing and I think doing this is really tricky because I think as much as we like to ca- catastrophize, I think we will have at least two new players in before, before the window closes. And so, depending on who, which two players those are, that could change things completely. But having said that, when, you know how much Klopp likes to work with players in pre-season. There's a fairly good chance, whoever we do sign, we don't really see them until January or whatever anyway. And so, I just think that's, that's too much of a head start for, for the other teams who have done pretty good business, particularly particularly Man United, I think, despite my Hoyland shout. Um, but I think that we will start slowly, especially given the fixtures that Liam that Liam outlined. I think I think where I where I slightly disagree is I think last season was such a reality check that I agree. Once we got two points from our first three games or whatever it was last season, um we we definitely kind of crumbled mentally. I think the squad are kind of so so kind of wary of last season that I don't think they think they're challenging for a league this season, mm. as, as much as it pains me to say it. And I think, therefore, the stakes are a bit lower almost. And so you can afford, not I don't want to, obviously, but I think maybe you can afford to have a bit of a slow start and it not just completely kill the team mentally because they saw how poor they were last season. And actually, we weren't far off top four and, and, and we were awful for, for large, large parts of last season. So I, I don't think that a slow start would kill them as much as it did last season. So that's why I've still got them in the top four. But I think it will give us too much ground to catch up on the likes of United. Yeah, I definitely think that the, the narrative of sort of slow start and then, and then kind of an improvement as the season goes on, there's definitely something to that. I think even though I've been the most optimistic this year with where I've put Liverpool, which is a contrast to last year, where I think I was the only one on the podcast who said 
they they um wouldn't win the title. I am still apprehensive about the new season rather than excited, and it's a shame because you know we did a podcast talking about how you know what constituted success of Liverpool next season, and when we did that at the start of the summer, I felt that a title a title charge wasn't out of the question because every time Klopp has been furnished with a complete squad, I think he's been able to compete. The problem is that this year he hasn't so far. He's entering the season without one. And I spent the run-in last year excited about the transfer window and thought the club were going to learn from the mistakes. But this year, Klopp is going into the season arguably even more on demand. And that is just such a morale-sapping reality, I think. And yes, I think I, I fully expect a defensive midfielder, whether it's Lavia or somebody else, to arrive. I expect a centre-back to arrive too before the end of the window. But, you know, the timing of it is just kind of... It's so disappointing in a way because the you know, the podcast we did the other day, I think, put in the title, there was no sign for 34 days. Obviously, it's dragged on further before that. It just feels like where was that kind of decisive set of moves early in the market, you know, the, the need's been there for a while. Um, it just, you wanted to see this emphatic response in the market from Liverpool. You haven't had it. You've had what seems like a little bit haphazard, um, reactive rather than proactive. And it's put Liverpool in a position where I think top four is unfortunately um, going to be, well, top three maybe, but they're not going to be able to challenge the title. They're just going to be able to try and get back in the Champions League. And that, to me, feels like a waste because people will say that that was inevitable this year, but I don't think it was. I think with the right signings at the right time, the right squad management, everything like that, I think Liverpool could have competed. Unfortunately, I think the way that it's gone and the sense of, upheaval at the moment isn't going to lend itself to that kind of season and to be honest I think it's a shame to not be able to go into the new season with excitement I thought I, I would be doing that but I think I'm worried that certainly in the early weeks it might be a little bit more of the same from last year in terms of just being wide open defensively so that is currently what I'm feeling about this Liverpool side um, but I do think that they'll recover to a decent season. It's just a shame that that's not going to be the season that it could have been, I don't think. But who knows, you know, maybe it'll surprise us in one in one direction or another. Let's finish off then with our Liverpool hot takes. Um, I'll read out Chris's first of all. He said that if given similar minutes, Jota will rival Salah for Liverpool's non-penalty top scorer, which in the Premier League, he says, which I think is, is a decent shout. Um, obviously, the crazier, the better with these. Last year, we had some ones that didn't necessarily qualify for hot take status. Um, so hopefully this year we get kind of a more controversial uh, batch. But Liam, if you go first on yours, please. Um, I'm going to highlight like two players who I think could be in line to make quite a few starts in, in the Premier League. Um, I'm going to, uh, one is Ben Doak. Um, was obviously been sensational in pre-season. I mean, he's still only 17. Um, he, he's competing with Salah for that right ring spot, but he looks ready. Um, and I think Klopp wouldn't have any crowds about showing him in and giving Salah a, a rest a few times here and there. Um, and I also think Conor Bradley could start a few games as well. Again, another lad who was up solid in pre-season, who was excellent last year at Bolton. 
Um, and he is that he would give us that natural right back option, which would means that Kanata isn't always having to come across and cover the space, and would mean that Trent has that freedom to play in, in, in midfield without having to worry too much about about tracking back. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if um, because don't forget Trent himself was almost thrown at the deep end when he first started um, that game against Man United in 2017. So I mean, it's not like and Vitalis last season. So. Klopp does have a previous when it comes to looking at young lads saying, yeah, you're ready, in you go, do your stuff. So, I can, yeah, I think we'll see a bit more of two of them this, this year. Doak, I think, is um, one of the most exciting players to watch this season, for sure. I think he's just absolutely electrifying um, every time he comes on and he's just embarrassing kind of senior fullbacks. I think Bradley, as well, is an interesting shout. I mean, Milner's gone now, Ramsey's gone out on loan, Gomez is, is there still, but Maybe Bradley is is trying to aim to establish himself as that secondary right back. The question there, I suppose, is does Klopp think that he can play kind of the same inverted role that we've seen Trent play? And I think one or two glimpses of that in preseason, but obviously with very different and competitive action. I think that's one of the more intriguing narratives around this season is is what Liverpool do when Trent doesn't play because he's so kind of embedded within the new system. It's built around him almost. Jamie, what what would your hot take be? Uh, mine is that, despite what I said about Trent in the assists category uh, earlier on, is that uh, we will revert. We will revert back to the four-three-three for a big stretch of next season. Uh, I, I like that. I like this new shape. Um, I, my fear is that, given how how much other teams have been playing it last season, is that it won't actually take that long for teams to work out how to defend, particularly how to attack against that kind of in, inverted centre-back. And I know it was all, sorry, all inverted uh, wing-back even. Uh, I know it was all the rage last season, um, but I wonder whether we're going to see teams move away from that slightly, and, and I think we will be part of that. Uh, whether that's because of an injury to Trent, maybe. It's interesting you talk about Bradley as maybe the only other option who can play that kind of uh, inverted full-back. I don't want to see Simicast do it. Mm. I really don't. Um, and so that could be a cause of it because you don't really have any anyone else who can play that that kind of role in the squad. Um, but I think just generally across the league, we will see a kind of a, a move away from that because it's easy to forget that even though it was all the rage last season, it was the rage for the whole of last season. And so teams are already working out how to play against it. And it's almost like we've come a bit late to the party in that respect. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. But uh, I think maybe particularly in the big games, and I think probably for a long stretch, we will go back to the original 4-3-3 formation. And to be honest, I think there's a, a pretty strong argument to do that against Chelsea. Because given the current personnel shortage, if you put... Gomez right back, Alexander Arnold as the number six, McAllister supports him defensively, and then maybe Sobersly. I think there's an argument that that's more stable than trying to fit the box midfield in without the um, defensive midfield presence. So I, I'm I'm a fan of that one, and I think we maybe might even see it sooner than we expect. Klopp maybe hinted the other day about finding a formation that works for the game against Chelsea, not the full season. So we'll see on that. Um, my hot take and. I'm not sure if I 100% believe this, um, is that Cody Gakpo will be Liverpool's player of the season. And by that, I mean 
the proof of the proof of that would be is is he gonna kind of win that fan voted one um at the end of the year? I think obviously he's competing against players like Allison, who I think won it last year, uh, Salah as well. Maybe a couple of the new signings make that case um as well. So it's gonna be a very competitive bracket, especially if Liverpool do end up having a decent season and finishing third. It's just I think Gakpo started slow last year, really ramped up. Now he's got a full preseason behind him and is ready to kind of push on to, to big numbers in terms of goals and assists this year. But not just that, I think in terms of performance levels as well, I think he's really going to captivate fans. He's a player that I think might be my favourite Liverpool right now, just in terms of watching and play and his ability to find pockets of space to receive the ball and then just drive forward. Those driving runs, I think, are absolutely brilliant and I think will cause havoc among defences. And just seeing someone who's just such a natural fit for kind of that Firmino succession role, I think he can kind of... I actually genuinely believe that he can get to sort of similar heights this season to what we saw from a peak Roberto Firmino, even if he's not exactly the same player. Hugely excited to watch him this year and I think he's going to be the player who definitely starts the most minutes in that centre-forward role. And probably behind Mohamed Salah plays the most minutes among our attackers. So I think that was my is my ever so slightly rogue shout, I think, for uh, Liverpool's best player. I knew I wanted to centre it around him in some way because I'm just so excited to to watch him this year, him and him and Trent especially. Um so yeah, I think we've done we've done better with those this year. I think they're a little bit um bolder than than what we had last year um for our hot takes. We'll leave it there um for our predictions podcast. Um, thanks to Liam and Jamie. Thanks to the, the fallen soldier Farrell for uh, for joining us. Yeah, we'll be back either when Liverpool sign Romeo Lavia. But to be honest, I think I've said that at the end of about three episodes in a row now. Um, but if that does happen, we'll get a reaction podcast for you. Um, and if not, we'll be back on Sunday after the first game of the season against Chelsea, which we're all I think a little bit apprehensive about, and it might end up being a bit of a. a Five, four, four, three, classic type thing. But yeah, we'll be back for our first match reaction episode of the new season. And yeah, thanks very much um, to everyone for the support on the podcast over the summer. And uh, please continue to do so during the season because we'll have so many episodes for you. We'll have a couple of episodes every single week um, with new content for you. But yeah, thanks very much, everyone. And yeah, we will see you after Chelsea. <laughs>